We were, as um, Rosie said at the top of our service, on Sunday mornings, we're journeying through the Apostles' Creed together, uh, which if you've never heard of it, we're about to read it together in, in just a moment, uh, was a really early attempt to try and consolidate all the teaching of the first apostles uh, into one place and in a society, in a culture where not many people knew how to read. Uh, saying this together was a way to teach people the core basics uh, of the Christian faith. And we've been journeying through that together. Uh, I was really grateful last weekend I uh, wasn't too well, and other people uh, jumped into the fray uh, and led for us. So Andy Gibbs was leading us through what it means to come to a God who suffers, a God who suffers with us and a God who has suffered for us, a God who knows uh, our pain. I'm really grateful, too, to Richard Hodges, who didn't even know he was on the bench that Sunday, uh, had stepped in when Daniel went down, Daniel had, had prepped. So grateful to you guys. And we're going to continue that journey together with Jesus today. Uh, so perhaps we could read these words that come from the Apostles' Creeds together. For some of us, this might be a new thing, might be one of the first times we've ever done it. Uh, but these are words that we share with people right across the, uh, the, the church. We're going to express our faith today, that we believe in one holy Catholic Church, and that doesn't mean that we're suddenly going to become a Catholic Church, but the word Catholic just means universal, and so we share this together with brothers and sisters of all kind of different styles and structures and cultures all across our world. So let's share in these words together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, this morning we're going to um, come back to a style of, uh, of learning together where it's not just one voice that will be speaking. Uh, I've invited three people just to spend some time this week reflecting uh, on a passage of scripture. You may remember we did this a, a couple of weeks ago and just share what has come out of that time uh, in God's word together. So can I welcome uh, Bex? Where's Bex gone? Oh, you upstairs? Why are you sat upstairs, Bex, honestly? <laughs> She likes a big entrance. Uh, so, so Bex is going to come, and Rob uh, and Stu are going to come. Uh, while they're coming, let's turn to 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1 together. 1 Peter, chapter 1. We're going to be thinking about that phrase in the Apostles' Creed. On the third day, he rose again, ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. So 1 Peter, chapter 1, if you're following along, we're going to start reading uh, from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when they predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of things which have now been told you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Wow. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as it is written, he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Peter tells us that even angels long to look into these things. We've got three angels this morning who are going to come and, and share their thoughts. Uh, Bex is going to come first. I've numbered my pages, so if I fall on the floor... I don't have a Boris Johnson moment and start talking about Peppa Pig. <laughs> Peppa Pig will, isn't it? Anyway, it's a long passage for us to have reflected on and obviously just needed to pick out little bits which spoke to me. So I'm just going to share what came. I just sat on my computer and wrote what came, so just go with it. <laughs> so I've gone to church for as long as I can remember. My parents took us to a church in Oxford, which was full of very clever people. 
Oxford dons, clever students, and us, I'm not quite sure why we went there, really. The teaching was good, and I was grounded in a lot of the knowledge and theology. So I knew about God and Jesus, and that Jesus died on the cross. But this was only my head knowledge. I went away to university, and for the first time in my life, really, I had a choice whether to go to church or not. I decided I could manage without it. Anyway, I knew what I needed to know, didn't I? After my first year at university, I went to a different church at home which my younger sister had started attending whilst I'd been away. I heard a speaker talking about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And I understood for the first time how Jesus' death and resurrection demonstrated how much I was loved by God. This was personal for me, not just knowing that Jesus died, but understanding that Jesus experienced betrayal, abandonment, flogging, ridicule, and ultimately the cruelest and most painful death for me. And because of the resurrection, Jesus is alive and I can talk to him. This was a revelation to me. Despite my previous years of listening to teaching, I had not grasped this fundamental truth. Now I didn't just know, I believed. In two weeks' time, Steve and I will be celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. <laughs> I don't know how he's put up with me so long, really. <laughs> After a couple of years of being married, we had four very difficult years, suffering three miscarriages. Words cannot explain the feelings of utter de devastation and loss during this time. It was and still is difficult to see where God was in it all and how it fits into the plan he has for our lives. But I knew of God's unfailing love for me, even though I didn't feel God very close to me at times. In the storms, we can struggle to see where God is in it, but I never doubted the existence of God or of his love. Well-meaning Christian friends would say that God has a plan to use the experience for good. And this is very difficult to hear when traveling through desperate times and God feels distant. If you know someone that's going through desperate times, focus on them knowing God's love for them, demonstrated by Jesus' death and resurrection. If you are going through a difficult time yourself, know that you have not been abandoned. He is still God. He still loves you. He still gave his only son to die for you. And Jesus is still alive, walking by your side. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39, we read, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In an online support group for Christian women, someone posted a prayer request for a friend. She said, I firmly believe in the goodness of God and in his mercy and grace for all people. I'm a bit bewildered, though. What is going on? We struggle to make sense of life sometimes, but we need to find a way to worship through the pain. It is difficult, but God is still the same, whatever we feel. It is okay to ask God our questions. It is okay to tell God how we are feeling. He already knows this anyway. We were looking at Psalm 139 last time we had a session like this. And God wants to be included. After Jesus' resurrection, the last words of Matthew's Gospel records what is now titled the Great Commission. Jesus says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because of his resurrection, I believe Jesus is still alive and he is a trustworthy companion to accompany us through our life on this earth, whatever life throws at us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the embodiment of God's perfect love and faithfulness. The section I took out of the reading that Don read, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. So what does it mean to know the resurrected Jesus? For me, I feel this is summed up in the words of this song by Graham Kendrick, which I'm sure will be familiar to most of you. I'm not going to sing it, you'll be pleased to know. We have a strong and certain hope, fixed and unchanging, not in vain. We have a friend in heaven's court since Jesus rose to life again. We have an anchor for the soul, since Jesus' blood has made a way into the deepest heart of God before the Father's throne of grace. I know he lives. Jesus is alive and he reigns in glory now. I know he lives and with him will rise. Hallelujah. I know he lives. Thank you so much, Rex. It's not easy to reflect on, I'm sure, and, and remember today. And it's wonderful to know, isn't it? It's like that song that we sing, Rex reminded me of as she was sharing, all through the storm, your love is the anchor. And very often we have questions, don't we, about why we experience things in this life and why life in this body can be so tough. And we can offer some very easy, quick answers sometimes, but it's his love that is the anchor. Well, thank you for that reminder today of the, the ongoing uh, love of Jesus. Rob's going to come and share.
before I start reading what I've prepared, I just wanted to say that God is amazing. We were all given the same passage to read and reflect on. Um, none of us have spoken, as far as I'm aware, before this morning. Um, and you'll see why I'm making that comment in a moment as I go through what I've prepared. So, as a result of John asking me to play a part in this part of the service, I've done something that I um, confess I don't do often and haven't done for quite some time, which is to spend time reading, rereading, and reading again the same passage of the Bible. So it would have been very easy when John asked me to do this, to read the passage once, and to immediately just write down the first things that came into my head. But what I still find, and I found this time, when I read the scriptures in this way, is that the same passage can speak to me, and you probably find the same thing, can speak to you in a variety of different ways. The words on the page don't ever change, but the message that you get from them does. And reading the passage that we've read multiple times allowed me then to wait for the Lord to say to me what I think he's saying to me and for me to share with you. So here goes. Um, like Beck, there is um, one particular part of the passage, and in fact for me, one particular word within the passage that stood out the most. It's not a big word, it's quite a small word, but it packs a punch. It features in the heading, and it also features a number of times throughout the passage. And that word is hope. Now, let me start with a confession. Hope, for me, is, I think, a difficult and a challenging word. When I stopped to reflect and I thought, well, how do I use that word in my day-to-day -day life? I thought of a number of expressions that I often hear myself saying. Things like, well, we can't do that, it's hopeless. Or, don't build your hopes up, because that's probably not going to happen. Or, I'm going to ask this question more in hope than in expectation. <laughs> or, I hope I might see you again sometime. And what I found interesting about that is that many of the ways that I use that word suggest that it's either referring to something which I don't really expect to ever happen, or comes with negative connotations. Now, for those who know me best, that view of hope almost certainly reflects the way in which I often see things. So my wife, Lorraine, will often tell you, if you ask her, and sometimes even if you don't, <laughs> that if there's a goal that I've got, or there's a goal that we share together, then of the two of us, I'm the one that's likely to identify all of the issues and all of the problems that are gonna stand in the way of getting there. And I know, that that often frustrates Lorraine, who generally takes a more optimistic view of things. Pausing there, please pray for her. <laughs> I like to think of it as forward planning. But in truth, it's probably more about me managing expectations, including my own, and wanting to avoid disappointment. You see, if you don't expect to get or achieve something, then there's little room then to be disappointed or be crestfallen when it doesn't happen. But is that really the way that we should think of hope? And is that really the way that the word hope is being used in this passage? You see, the passage talks of a living hope, 
through the resurrection of Jesus. It instructs us to set our hopes on the grace that is to be brought to us when Jesus returns. It's a word that features throughout the scriptures. And I noted just a few. So Hebrews 6, 16 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Matthew 12, 21 says, In his name the nations will put their hope. That's a quote from Isaiah talking about Jesus. Um, one of my personal favorite passages of the Bible, and one which we often hear, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. What I found particularly challenging is that when the Bible talks of hope, it describes something different to what I think of when I use that word in my everyday life. It isn't just talking of something that would be nice if it happens. It isn't telling us not to build our hopes up. It isn't even limited to what we truly might desire ourselves. The Bible's telling us that real hope, which is to be found in and through Jesus, is a certain thing. It's a guarantee. And if you accept Jesus as your saviour and place your hope in him, as the Graham Kendrick song goes, we have a strong and certain hope, fixed and unchanging, not in vain. I ended my quotation there. <laughs> so why, when that message is so clear and the hope to be found in Jesus is so strong and so certain, are there so many times when I don't actually feel hopeful? That's the question which I've probably spent most time reflecting on in preparing these words. And the answer, I think, on reflection, is that I'm too often guilty of practicing what I would call convenient Christianity. And what I mean by that is that there are times I will turn to God when times are bad and pray for his help or his healing. There are times when life is really good and I praise him because things have worked out well. But there are far too many other times when I don't turn to him or even worse, when I don't want to turn to him. And I suspect many of us can think of times when we found ourselves in that sort of situation. It is hard to continue to praise God when things are not going well. It's also difficult, sometimes in my experience even more difficult, to praise and be thankful for our, what I would call, bog-standard everyday existence. Now, on the recent BLESS course I did, which John led, each week we were invited to identify a discipleship focus for ourselves at the end of each session. And it was a way in which we could try to be closer to and more like Jesus. And one of the focuses I used one of the weeks was to spend time each day thanking God for the small stuff of everyday life that I think I too often forget, take for granted, or don't appreciate. And I have to tell you, I found it amazing how doing that actually lifted, me, me, lifted my spirits and made me feel more hopeful generally. And so I'm convinced that that is where the issue lies for me. I'm not focusing enough in the right place for my sense of hope. And too often I place my hope on things that I can control or are within my own understanding, which I accept is limited. Too often I drift away from God and don't place my hope in him, 
The passage also, this may be a small thing, but speaks of the hope to be found in Jesus at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of the passage. The first verse of the passage has it, the last verse of the passage has it, and the middle verse has it. And so it struck me, if I place my hope in Jesus, and I have that hope at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of everything that I do, then I can put to one side any negativity that I might connect with that word. Except it doesn't mean that everything will be rosy in the garden, and everything will be wonderful in my life, and I'll never face any difficulties. But it helps me to focus on the guarantee and the certainty which the true hope that we have in the risen Jesus gives to each one of us. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. And Lorraine, we will be praying for you. <laughs> I think um, a few things have struck me there. I think you're not the only one who doesn't apply that hope to our everyday lives. And it strikes me that we live in a world that is crying out for hope. And what kind of voice do we as the church bring into that world? Social media, into conversation. Are we bringing hope uh, into this world? So thank you for that, that challenge, Rob. I'm uh, going to hand over now to, to Stu, who's the, the third voice. Stu likewise didn't know he was going to be on the bench today. It was going to be uh, Jo, but uh, she's up helping her mum, who's home from, from hospital. Uh, so Stu stepped in, I was going to say last minute, but it's probably last second, is it? Uh, there we go. But Stu's going to come and share. Uh, right. Um, this is going to be so hard. Uh, you see, Bex and Rob have um, they've been cogent and uh, clear um, and able to, and you've all been able to follow exactly where they are at and what they mean. And mine is going to be ramshackle and uh, confused and confusing. Uh, so I apologise uh, in advance. Um, I read a uh, passage and reread the passage uh, yesterday evening. Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I read it again this morning. And then John read it. Um, and it spoke completely differently to me. So um, I've got some notes here. And whether or not I stay anywhere near those notes, I'm not entirely sure now. Because you've uh, thrown me out um, so much but there is uh, there are a couple of things that I, I want to put uh, put out there so that you have some some context uh, about me um, uh, a lot of you don't um, r realize maybe some that know me a bit better uh, maybe do um, but I am uh, painfully shy um, I noticed nobody laughed because I keep getting dragged up here um, and uh, to, to, to speak and, and turn up in all sorts of uh, uh, plays and, and productions. But I am uh, painfully uh, shy. I'm socially awkward. Uh, I find it immensely difficult uh, to meet with people I've never met before and know what to say. And worse than that, I'm really good at putting my foot in it and saying the wrong thing uh, at the wrong time, and sometimes I just can't. 
uh, say uh, the right thing for saying the wrong thing, uh, if you see uh, what I mean. Um, and I suppose from that point of view, uh, when I was reading through uh, the passage, uh, it's a, an immensely important uh, passage to me, um, that it, it brought it back home that of all of the disciples through uh, apostles, uh, the person that I identify uh, most is with Peter uh, because he was socially <coughs> awkward, uh, was really good at putting his footing in it and saying uh, just the wrong thing at the wrong time, even though he was really trying to be the kind uh, of uh, disciple that, that Jesus would really be proud of and have uh, a real understanding in, and yet he was to be the rock on which um, Jesus, on which God uh, would build uh, his church. While I was reading through the passage last night, and again while I was reading through the passage uh, this morning, uh, and uh, louder uh, as John was reading through the passage uh, I had a song, a worship song, going round and round my head. And I shall leave that point there for the moment, uh, maybe come back to it a bit later. Um, Rob uh, mentioned uh, hope. And we look at Peter's first letter and uh, contained within that uh, there is that central uh, essential and central theme uh, of uh, hope but it is so eloquently unexpectedly eloquently outlined that you wonder where this ability to explain in such detail with such clarity comes from. And so I suppose what jumped out at me while, we, uh, while I was reading uh, through was not so much the word hope, but two words. And the two words that jumped out at me were Holy Spirit. I'm fairly convinced in terms of my own uh, understanding uh, of Jesus' word, of the Gospels, uh, and indeed of the, uh, the whole of the Bible, that without the Holy Spirit, I would not only be unable to follow what was going on in any real uh, and convincing sense, uh, but more importantly, I'd be unable to share that with other people. And it comes back to the fact that I am shy and socially awkward uh, and really have great difficulty in uh, talking to people, especially for the first time. I mean, obviously, once I get to know you, you can't shut me up, but that's a different issue. Um, the Holy Spirit, once upon a time, had no play in my life. And therefore... I managed to invent a character called Stuart who could 
uh, get up onto a stage and talk, who could uh, introduce himself into new social situations uh, and uh, get to know people. And all the time, um, I would know that in the back of my mind, uh, I was really behaving in a way that was quite fraudulent um, because what people were presented with wasn't me. In a way, it's just as well that I was quite fraudulent because my personal feeling is that if you were presented with uh, the me, with all of the sinful thoughts and deeds, uh, with all of the, the, the bad behavior that I am uh, guilty of, um, you would shun me. Uh, you wouldn't want to know uh, anything about me. Um, and then Christ entered into my life um, in uh, what I often like to say is a, a very a sneaky and underhanded way, but that's not true. <laughs> uh, what he did was uh, to... Um, it, any of you here um, like... Uh, watching old silent movies, um, what he did was uh, he tied me to the railway track uh, and uh, along he came on the steam engine to run me over and all the time calling out to me, you ain't got to get it out of the way of this, you know. Um, and what I've found, having allowed, uh, I stress, having allowed Jesus uh, into uh, my life, um, because he was there all along. Um, what I found is that now when I stand up, it is not such a fraudulent act. That what I do is that I pray very hard and allow the Holy Spirit to lift me up and bring me up and find the words that God needs me to impart to you at any particular time. And I'm able to do that. So when I look at this particular passage, this particular letter, I'm not looking at it necessarily in the context of the individual words. I'm looking at it in the context of saying, well, if somebody is socially uh, awkward, uh, somebody who uh, so easily comes out with the wrong thing, somebody who could betray in such a fundamental way, is able then to be redeemed through Christ and brought up <coughs> in front of people to explain faith in such a clear and eloquent way, then perhaps I can go somewhere along that line with the Holy Spirit's involvement in my life. I'm not a good person. We can all say that, but genuinely, I'm not a good person. But the song is still going round and round and round my head. And I'm not going to sing it any more than Bex was going to sing hers. <laughs> uh, and it's not Graham Kendrick, I'm, I'm afraid. Would have been lovely, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that have been perfect symmetry? So I'm going to recite the words, and you will recognize as soon as I do, and it goes like this. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, 
and there's a lot of guilt within. Upwards I look and see him there. He made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me.